Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, March 30th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news and then diving into the mailbag and answering a few listener questions. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film writers, Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys, let's get into the news first. Uh, the most important news of yesterday, of course, I'm talking about the Thundercats movie announcement. This is uh, a Thundercats movie is finally happening. Adam Wingard, the director of Godzilla vs. Kong, is directing this thing. Uh, before I go any further at all, do either of you have any relationship whatsoever to the Thundercats? Uh, HG, let's start with you. I know you're an animation fan, so I feel like the chances might be slightly higher for you. Well, absolutely zero for me. This is before my time. <laughs> Okay. Chris, what about you? Uh, my uncle on my mom's side is a Thundercat. No, I have no <laughs> I have no relation to the Thundercats. Okay. Uh, Chris, I feel like you and I are sort of kind I, of in that age range where like... We... I know what they are. Like I, I've, I've seen the characters, mm-hmm. but I have, I have no... I don't, I don't really like like this, the human animal hybrid things. Mm-hmm. The things that appeal to furries, basically. I'm not really into <laughs> that. I'm sorry. It's just not my thing. 
Yeah, Warner Brothers has been wanting to make a Thundercats movie since 2007, at least, maybe even earlier than that. That was one of the earliest uh, articles that I could find that we wrote about it at Slashfilm. And that was only like a couple years into Slashfilm's existence back then. Um, there was a rumor at one point that Michael Bay's Six Underground was a secret Thundercats film. I remember writing about that. Obviously, what? that did not come true. Yeah, that was, that was a very ridiculous thing that was going around. Um, but yes, Thundercats, I guess, is, is uh, I guess it started as this animated series that ran from 1985 to 1989 and follows a group of cat-like humanoid aliens who live on the dying planet Dundera. Uh, they are an elite group that is charged with saving the species, um, you know, very much in the vein of He-Man and a lot of those kinds of 80s uh, animated action type of shows that spawned toy lines and all of that kind of stuff. I'm sure there are some of our older listeners probably have, um, you know, fond nostalgic memories of the Thundercats. And like I said, Hollywood has been interested in this project for a long time. Um, you know, there have been several sort of stops and starts along the way, but it looks like Adam Wingard is going to be the person who is going to finally push this thing across the, the finish line, or at least that's what it seems like right now. He and Simon Barrett, who is his uh, frequent collaborator and, and screenwriting partner, are going to be um, rewriting a script that uh, had an you know had a draft out there already. So they're basically just going to be starting from scratch and working on this again. And uh, I encourage you, if you are if you are a Thundercats fan, go read this article that it, you can find in the show notes because I've quoted this lengthy thing from Adam Wingard where he talks all about being a hardcore Thundercats fan and how he wrote this 270 plus page screenplay when he was in 10th grade for a, a Thundercats movie. And he calls this a dream project. Yeah, at one point he says, uh, what is it? What was the exact quote here? He says, um, where, nobody on this planet knows or has thought as much about Thundercats as I have, <laughs> which is a pretty incredible quote, uh, just, you know, completely out of context there. But um, yeah, I encourage you to, to read about this. It seems like if you have been the person, you know, out there who's been waiting for a Thundercats movie for your whole life, it seems like you're going to be pleased with Adam Wingard as the choice there. So uh, yeah, I also don't really have any relationship to this property, so I can't comment on whether or not I think he's a great fit to bring these, you know, iconic characters to life. But um, there you have it. A Thundercats movie is in the works. So uh, let's move to our next news story, which is uh, about a Game of Thrones prequel, but not one that's actually being developed for the small screen. HT, tell us about that. Yeah, no surprise. There's another Game of Thrones prequel in the works, but it's for the stage. This untitled Game of Thrones stage play, which is being planned for Broadway, London's West End, and in Australia, uh, is currently being developed by a Song of Ice and Fire author, George R. R. Martin, with award-winning playwright Duncan McMillan, who wrote 1984, the play, I'm assuming. <laughs> and um, it will center on the great tourney at Hall, which is the sort of fateful jousting an archery tournament that takes place 16 years before the events of Game of Thrones that leads to the war, uh, Robert's Rebellion, and essentially uh, leads us to where the fractured and corrupt kingdom that we meet in the beginning of Game of Thrones. So this prequel story will bring back beloved characters like Ned Stark, Jamie Lannister, Oban Martell, and Robert Baratheon, but, you know, younger. Uh, if you 
know anything about the Song of Ice and Fire lore, this uh, or have watched any of Game of Thrones, this has this is a story that's been alluded to many times by characters, but it's never actually been depicted on screen. There's been like the the latter half of that that's shown in the final episodes of Game of Thrones, where you see the flashback of young Ned Stark um, finding his sister Lyanna Stark. But this um, tournament is basically this turning point uh, in which. Uh, Lyanna Stark, who is Ned Stark's beautiful, rebellious sister, uh, catches the eye of Prince Rhaegar Targaryen, who falls madly in love with her and quote-unquote kidnaps her, uh, which leads to her betrothed, Robert Baratheon, starting a war that would lead to his taking the Iron Throne and the surviving Targaryens to be exiled. But, you know, we all know that R plus L equals J. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Lyanna actually fell in love with Rhaegar and left her for own volition. And so it's that kind of star-cross star romance that does actually seem to be suited for the stage. Um, and this is currently, you know, in the works very early on right now. It's planned to be brought to the stage in 2023 uh, with producers Simon Painter and Tim Lawson producing it in partnership with Kilburn Live and Dominic Cook directing. So, um, HJ, I have to ask you what, you know, I, I know that you, uh, fell off your viewing of Game of Thrones, but, um, this, uh, play that this event, as you just described it here, kind of sounds a little bit like the, um, like the inciting incident of the Trojan war. It seems, you know, uh, I know George R. R. Martin was inspired by a ton of different things, including the war of the roses when he was actually writing the song of ice and fire books. But, um, this sort of central landmark event, um, seems like a, a, a place that is, uh, you know, ripe for drama. Is this something that you are interested in seeing on the stage? Sure. Since we're never going to get the books anyways, why not? <laughs> okay. um, I, you know, I had a really, I was re- had a real vested interest in the Song of Ice and Fire series for a long time and in Game of Thrones until I fell off. But um, yeah. If it's good, I will. If it gets some good response, then I'll see it. Mm. I actually am kind of intrigued because this story, like you said, uh, is very, very uh, has a lot of shades of of Helen of Troy of the Trojan War, and I think George R. R. Martin has actually referred to that, even though he mostly refers to War of the Roses for inspiring Game of Thrones. But um, I, I think I could see that actually translating well to the stage. It kind of has that medieval, um, you know, epic chivalrous tale quality to it that star cross romance so i i'm all for it and um yeah if it if it's uh if it turns out well i I think i'd be willing to to see it on stage in broadway which should be open by 2023 where i am in new york city um chris i know you've seen you know a fair share of, of plays here and there um considering that you didn't really care that much about game of thrones is this something that intrigues you at all uh i don't is this like gonna be a musical when i hear broadway i think musical you know obviously there aren't Oh, that's fascinating. There it, are, you know, obviously music-free plays on Broadway, but I don't, I, is this going to be a musical? There's no details about it being a musical. I'm assuming it'll be something along the lines of the Harry Potter's Cursed Child, which is a non-musical right. play. I mean, yeah, I don't really have much interest. I will, I just, will just add that calling a tournament a tourney is really lazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was, some of the, like, the the words that George R. R. Martin comes up with for his, his, his world's are just they just often strike me as like he's just like uh attorney like all right it's like 
Yeah, there's um, there's a whole thing when when I was reading the books where uh, I, I was baffled by his use of the word nuncle. He just put literally put the the letter N on the front of the word uncle, and it means the same thing. Right, or in like and like he has like sir, but he spells it S E R. It's like it's like all right, buddy. Like you don't need to change the word sir. Like come on. Yes. Uh, well, anyway, that, now, those are my thoughts. On, now on I hope list. it is a musical, and we get a full like musical, you know, show-stopping number about language in this world. So uh, that would be pretty fantastic. All right, um, let's go to our next uh, news story item here, and that is uh, a new project in the works from our old pal Sylvester Stallone. Chris, what's going on there? Sylvester Stallone says he is writing a treatment for a Rocky prequel series, which he hopes will head to streaming. Um, it's worth noting nothing is official here. Like no streaming service is like, yes, we're doing this. But Sylvester Stallone has a really hard time letting go of his iconic characters. Like just when you think like, all right, there can't possibly be any more Rocky and or Rambo things. He, he shows up and he's like, I'm making a new one. And uh, this, this seems um, questionable at best. He said he, he revealed it on Instagram and he said, quote, imagine a time machine that will simply transport us back to the origins of Rocky. And, you know, I hate to break this to Sylvester Stallone, and he should know it because he wrote the movie, but we already have the origins of Rocky. They were in the major motion picture Rocky starring Sylvester <laughs> Stallone. So I, I don't really I don't really know what this is. And like, obviously, he can't act in it because, you know, he's, he's much older now. I, I just don't really know who this is for. Um, to me, this sounds like he just, you know, he just wants to keep, keep that character going. And, you know, obviously like Creed three is in the works, but when that was announced recently, uh, there was like no mention of Stallone or Rocky in, in like the official press release, which really makes me think Creed three is not going to bring back Rocky, which honestly makes sense because if you've seen Creed two, that movie ends with Rocky, uh, spoiler alert for Creed 2, reuniting with his estranged son. And that really felt like closure for that character. And it really feels like there's nothing left for Rocky to do in the Creed film. So uh, it's my my guess is that Stallone is like, I don't want to let this go. So I'm, I'm going to do something else with Rocky. Yeah, that's kind of how it feels to me, too. Um, this, this just really has shades of that uh, the Die Hard prequel that had been thrown around for a long time and may still even be in the works. It's it's the same concept where, like, we've seen the origins of John McClane. It was in Die Hard. Like, what right. are these people doing? Um, so, Chris, I have to ask you about, do you think, you know, considering Stallone's... Um, a rightful attachment to this character. It is it is truly an iconic character and he has played him and been such a, you know, his career has been inextricably linked with Rocky. Do you think he would be willing to write a Rocky prequel and not play the character, not digitally de-age himself? Oh, man, a part of me thinks he's not that bonkers, but a part of me thinks that is exactly something he would do where he'd be like, <laughs> look, they did it with the Irishman. Now let's do it for me. And it's like, or like it's like his I don't even know I can't even picture what it would look like because Rocky the young Rocky is so, you know no offense to Sylvester Stallone who is in in great shape for his age he's in better shape than I am and I'm like twice younger than him uh but you know the younger Rocky was so much you know different looking than mm -hmm. how Stallone looks now and it'd just be weird to digitally de-age this you know 
I don't know. It's a bad idea. Let's just not do this. Let's move on and say where this isn't happening. All right. Before we move on, Chris, I have to ask you, and I'm going to spring this on you. So if you don't have an answer like locked and loaded, that's totally fine. But uh, out of all of the movies that you can think of off the top of your head that Stallone has been in, are there any that you would actually be sort of like intrigued about uh, a sequel? Um, you know, something that hasn't been sequelized already, because obviously he's sort of built his career on making, you know, tons and tons of sequels for a lot of. These oh, movies, yeah. But, uh, there are, I would love to see sequels of things that don't need. I would love to see like a Demolition Man sequel where it's like he's still in the future, but it's mm-hmm. further in the future. I would love to see a Cobra sequel. Cobra is just pure trash. And I would love to see Cobra 2 where uh marion cobretti that's his name is just still roaming around brutally murdering criminals without due process because he's just a fucking lunatic like give me give me sequels like that don't give like we don't need any more rocky films and you know i love the rocky franchise i'm i'm from philadelphia it's like required by law that i have to like the rocky franchise but we don't we don't need like we have the creed series now and i'm much more interested in seeing how that continues with or without rocky than having a new Rocky anything at this point. Yeah. I'm just looking at his IMDb right now. Cliffhanger seems like one that I could yeah, actually get on board. Too. He's given on another cliff. <laughs> yeah, throw another cliff on there. Uh, <laughs> something called Oscar. He, he plays a character named Angelo Snaps Provolone. Provolone. Yes, that was that's like that was his first attempt at like comedy and it bombed. Oh, man. And then he did Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, which also bombed. And he was like, I'm going to stop doing comedy. <laughs> Give me Oscar, too. That's what I want. The return yeah. of Snaps, man. Give me that. Uh, okay, that's, that's enough Stallone talk for now. Let's get into the mailbag. Um, okay, Missy from Florida writes, what is your process of deciding what to watch? Uh, my husband and I constantly find ourselves overwhelmed by our watch lists on multiple services along with my letterbox queue. We sit down to watch a movie and inevitably spend 20 minutes trying to decide what to watch. How do you manage that? Um, I feel like we've kind of touched on this a little bit in the past. I know that we've talked about the the idea of like keeping things in queues and HT just like flying from the hip and doesn't worry about that as much as uh, as I do, certainly. Um, Live life on the edge. Yeah, but how do you guys just narrow down like what what it is you want to watch? HT, what do you do? You know, a, a long day of work is over. You're, you know, you hit the couch and you're like, I'm going to watch something. What, what's your process? I, I, again, I don't have a process, which sounds really bad. I just, I fly by the hip. I, or shoot by the hip is what I mean to say. And um, I guess it's whatever I'm in the mood for. If I'm in the mood for a comedy, if I'm in the mood for a romance, the mood to be sad or, or see something that I can just, you know, something that I've been meaning to watch for a while. I don't know. It, it really just depends on my mood and mm-hmm. what I have been wanting to watch for a while i'm sorry that gives that's not a good answer at all no that's fine i'm curious though you know even if even if you do sort of uh shoot from the hip are you able to make a decision like very quickly or do you scroll around a lot Mm, i'm fairly quick with my decisions i don't like to I don't like the whole scrolling until you 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 find something and then you spend more of your night scrolling before you watch something. Mm-hmm. So generally, when I see something I, I've been wanting to watch for a while, uh, which is usually pretty quick on like HBO Max, for example, then I'm like, all right, I'm gonna watch that. So it's yeah. Okay, uh, Chris, let's go to you. What is? Do you have a, a process trying to narrow something down? Man, I wish I did. It's it's just a constant uh, nightmarish struggle. Um. It, it depends, really. Like, if it's something, if I'm watching it by myself, that's a little easier. But if I'm watching something with my wife, that's a, that's a little more difficult because 
I'm pretty indecisive and my wife is probably the most indecisive person I have ever met in my <laughs> life. Not to throw her under the bus. I love my wife. She's a wonderful person, but oh my God, she cannot decide things. She gets like locked where she's just like, I, I don't know what to pick. So if I'll be like, what do you want to watch? She'll be like, uh, and then I'll like, I'll give her options. I'll be like, we can watch this or this or this. And she'll just be like, uh, I don't know what to pick. I don't want to pick the wrong thing. And I'm like, there, there's no wrong thing. These are right. just options. But she, she's like, it's like a thing she can't do. So uh, if it's, if it's something I watch with my wife, it tends to be, we're picking from like, like a cooking show or like a true crime thing. Those seem to be like the easiest things for my wife to decide on. Yeah. Otherwise it's like, I wait for like, if it's something I know my wife is not going to like, if it's like a, a particularly like violent movie or there's, it's a movie where people are shooting guns for two straight hours and <laughs> she's not going to want to sit through that. Like I, it's, that's like, all right, I'll watch that late at night when, mm-hmm. when, when she's asleep. So basically my, my answer is I, I do everything based around what my wife wants. That's what I'm saying here. Um, let's see. How do I do? I, I also just keep watch lists in every service that I subscribe to. And I, I, I tend to, you know, when I watch stuff with my wife at, at night, we sort of have like a couple things going at once. Like we're watching Curb Your Enthusiasm right now, and we're also watching Nick. So it's like two completely different ends of the spectrum. So it sort of helps when you're trying to figure out, you know, like what kind of mood are you in? It helps like force your mood in one way or the other. Like, okay, is it this thing or this thing? And then obviously there's a ton of movies that we have access to as well. Um, and that's just like, if we have time, um, if we feel like staying up a little bit later than, than we normally do or something, we might throw a movie on. And at that point, I just sort of have to go by like, all right, here are things that I know that she would be interested in or like, um, yeah, it's, it's I, I sort of take the HT approach, uh, you know, when it gets when it gets down to it at, at that point. But I, I also do have a ton of uh, things, you know, queued up, and that's theoretically supposed to help. Uh, you know, in a in a perfect world, that would help things, and it does sometimes. But a lot of times, I just spend a lot of time, you know, clicking through every option on my Netflix queue, and then doing the same thing at Amazon and doing the same thing at Hulu. And like, yeah, before you know it, half an hour is gone. So uh, I understand, I I feel your pain, Missy. So hopefully that helped a little bit. Maybe uh, some of our experiences will inspire you to figure out a a better way. If you do figure out a better way, email us and let us know, because I would love to hear it. Maybe I can, uh, we we can complete the circle and I can learn from you here. Um, All right. Uh, M from Dakar, Senegal says, uh, Wonder Woman was the only DCEU film that I actually loved. I had such high hopes for the sequel, which turned out to be an immense disappointment. Among its many flaws, they somehow managed to make it less PC and more racist than the first movie, which was set during World War I. My question for the crew is, when was the last time you had very high hopes for a movie, only to have them completely and utterly dashed? Uh, I don't have a great answer for this question. The last thing I can think of is uh, Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. I went into that movie that came out in 2014. I went into that completely blind. I knew that uh, he he was making a movie and it involved space. And I think I must have known about some of the casting, you know, McConaughey and and Jessica Chastain um, or or, uh, Anne Hathaway. I'm sorry. Uh, And then I think that's it. I, I know that I didn't watch a single trailer, a single TV spot. And that's, that's the last time I can think of where I went completely dark on a movie beforehand because I loved Inception and I loved, you know, a, a lot of Nolan stuff before that. And I was very, very excited to see 
what he was doing with Interstellar. And I, I was just, uh, I wanted to sort of like do this experiment where I went in completely cold. And then, um, yeah, that movie just didn't really click for me in the way that it has for, for a lot of people. I know that I think we're, we're sort of mixed on Interstellar as a, as a site at, at, at Slashfilm, but. I'm not a uh, fan. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, I didn't, I didn't connect to it as much as I wanted to. That's all I can say. Um, but uh, Chris, let's, let's go back around to you. When, when was the last time that you had high hopes completely dashed? First of all, justice for interstellar, which is a very <laughs> good movie. But second of all, uh, most recently, the answer would be nobody, which is a movie I was really mm. looking forward to with Bob Odenkirk. I thought the trailers look great. I love the premise, Bob Odenkirk in an action movie. I was just, jones in for that movie and then i watched it and it was fine i don't think it's a bad movie it's just average and mm-hmm. it, it, the trailers made it look a lot better than it was and then uh, another example and this is somewhat recent is it chapter two uh i'm a i'm a big stephen king fan i loved the first it and i was so excited for this one because the casting in particular was so fucking cool i mean you had bill Hader in it and and jessica chastain and i was like oh this is gonna rule and that movie is a hot mess. Um, <laughs> I like some of it, but some of it just does not work at all. And it, it's a huge step down from the first film. So I, I went into that movie really hyped up. I, I actually like hopped on a train and went to New York to see that because my, the, my, my local screening was going to be like a week later than the New York one. And I was so excited to see it that I was like, fuck this. I am going to New York to see this. So it was like a whole, a whole affair where I had to drive to the train station, then sit on a train for an hour. And, you know, I had to go to New York and, you know, I was, like, I was so excited and just the movie started and it's fine at first. And then eventually it just starts to go completely off the rails. And I just remember like leaving a theater and being like, wow, what a, what a letdown. And then mm. one more, I'm sorry, I'm monopolizing this, but this is another movie I went to New York for and it's, it's glass. The M night Shyamalan film. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big M night Shyamalan fan. Even when everyone, it seems like the tide has turned again and people like him again. But even when most people had been like, well, that guy was overrated and I never liked him. I was like, no, I still think he's good. And I, I like a lot of his movies and I, I love Unbreakable. And the idea that he was finally returning to that world was like, oh, fuck yeah. And I, again, got in a train, went to New York and uh, that, that movie is just flat out bad. Not even like like a, an interesting mess. Just like, mm-hmm. wow, this sucks from beginning <laughs> to end. So those are those are my examples. Man, yeah. A couple of depressing train rides, it sounds like. Yeah, so so a lot of the this lesson- has to do with like you having to take an extra trip to New York too. <laughs> yeah. The le- yeah, the lesson here is I should just stop going to New York for screenings, apparently. <laughs> Although I have seen good things. Like the Irishman, which we talked about in the show, which I saw with HT, and John Wick Chapter 3, which I also saw with HT. Yeah, so, so I think the-, the lesson here is just see movies with me. That's right. That's the, the lesson is I should only see New York movies if HT is also going to there them. Go. Otherwise, it's, it's going to be a bust. All right, HT, what about you? Any big disappointments you can think of? Well, there have been a couple in like the past couple of years that have been sort of more like lesser disappointments, movies that I was really, really anticipating and really wanted to see um, and that I kind of was let down by or didn't love as much as other people. And that's movies like Detective Pikachu, which is a movie that I really, really wanted to like save my soul and just ended up being fine. And then Annihilation, which was a movie I thought I would love because of just how many, how much everyone else I knew loved it and, and everyone who like was raving about it. And I just kind of 
didn't click with me as much as I wanted it to or it wasn't exactly the movie I wanted it to be. So that was like a slight disappointment. But the movie that I will always kind of pull uh, up as that big soul-shattering disappointment is another M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Last Airbender. Oh, of course. Oh, God. I remember I saw this, uh, the premiere. I think I saw it like midnight. <laughs> and I was a huge, huge fan of Avatar, Last Airbender, the Nickelodeon series. I had my um, my sort of drawback, my hesitations because of the whitewashed cast and everything, but I was willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. And then I watched, and I just remember my stomach slowly sinking every at every minute and I was just crushed by how horrible how awful how terrible that movie was mm. and um yeah it's still something that stains that like tears up my soul a little bit so after Avatar last well just the last airbender no not even the just last airbender okay well that's yeah that's uh, a great question so thank you uh, to M from Dakar Senegal it's, that's cool that we have fans and, and listeners in Senegal that's great um, all right last question for today from the mailbag what are the best recasts in film history I'm thinking of somebody like uh, or something like uh, Eric Stoltz being replaced with Michael J Fox in Back to the Future or Stuart Townsend being swapped out for Viggo Mortensen in The Lord of the Rings. What are some of your favorites? And this is from uh, Tyler from Seattle. So uh, just to clarify here, like uh, here's an example. Josh Brolin took over the role of Thanos after a different actor named, uh, I think it's Damien Poitier, played him in the post-credits scene in The Avengers. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who actually were hired and, and, you know, we're on the set and like began filming and then either got fired or walked away because of creative differences or whatever. And then we're like literally re- replaced during the production, um, not in between movies or not like hired before and then replaced before filming started. So this is this, this uh, narrows the pool considerably. But, I'm, uh, you know, with those restrictions in place, do you guys have any that uh, immediately jump to mind or any favorites in this category? Christopher Plummer replacing Kevin Spacey in All the Money in the World. Yeah, that's like maybe one of the most famous uh, most famous instances of this because because Plummer got an Oscar nomination for yeah, his performance. It's, so. it's amazing because the movie itself is fine. It's not it's not the greatest movie, but Christopher Plummer easily gives the best performance of that film. And I thought, wow, he did this in I think two weeks. He shot that basically on the fly and he gave the best performance and got an Oscar nomination. So he totally deserved. Yeah, man, that rules. Um, Chris, any, uh, any uh, options here that you can think of? Man, I can't really think of any that are like standing out to me, honestly. I mean, other than the ones that have been mentioned. Uh... So the one that I could think of uh, before I did some digging and, and looked this up was um, Dougary Scott from, uh, it, he was originally cast as Wolverine. That was like the big one, you know, back back in uh, Brian Singer's X-Men movie, the first one. Um, he had to be replaced because he had scheduling conflicts because he was playing the villain in Mission Impossible 2 at the same time. And obviously Hugh Jackman came in. And took over that role and became like the defining performance of his career. Um, the face so of that the X-Men, was, essentially. Yeah, of course. Um, so that was the the biggest sort of like most famous one that I just sort of had off the top of my head. I have, uh, I found four other instances of this um, online. But uh, Chris, any any other uh, lightning bolt moments? Any, any uh, memories sparked here? Or should I just read these? 
Uh, no, you, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm no, that's fine. I'm tanking this segment. I yeah, just no, I did the same thing. I, I like sat here for like five minutes and, and here, had this. This is an example that doesn't really count, but I always find it amusing. And I haven't even seen the movie, but I remember that uh, Ryan Gosling was supposed to be in The Lovely Bones, and he was playing like the Saoirse Ronan's father, and he was like. Well, if I'm playing a dad, I need to get really fat for this role. And no one told him to do that. He just gained a bunch of weight. And then like he showed up on set and Peter Jackson was like, what the fuck? Why are you fat? And he was like, I thought this I, the role this role called for it. And he was like, no. And he got fired and replaced with Mark. Walker. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. I want to I want to see that version. I actually, if you, if, if oh, you like go Google around, you can find pictures of, of of overweight Ryan Gosling when he was getting the right weight for the role. And I just always find that very funny that he like no one told him to do it. He was just like, you know what? I think this character is overweight. And <laughs> he just <laughs> everyone was like, no, we don't want this. Oh, man. Yeah, that was one of the four that I had, even though it doesn't quite fit. It's still like so close that and and it, yes, of course, it's like <laughs> such a humorous story. You kind of have to throw it in here. Um, all right. So the, the other three that I found online were um, Samantha Morton was replaced by Scarlett Johansson in uh, the 2013 movie Her from Spike Jones. She did the voice of the AI system that Joaquin Phoenix's character falls in love with. And then uh, in post-production, Spike Jones was like, ah, this isn't really working. So he brought Scarlett Johansson in to like redo the entire um, vocal performance for that character. Uh, James Purefoy spent six weeks shooting V for Vendetta before leaving that project and being replaced by Hugo Weaving. Um, so that was a sort of a big one that somebody certainly put a lot of time into. And then this one I didn't even know about until I was sort of digging around looking for potential other answers for this question. But Lori Petty played the character of uh, Lenina Huxley in Demolition Man for two days before being replaced by uh, Sandra Bullock. And that obviously was like a big uh, sort of career boosting role for Sandra Bullock's early career. So um, I had no idea that Lori Petty was involved with that. And that weirdly is the second time that Demolition Man has been mentioned on this podcast today. Wow. So. <laughs> very, very Demolition Man episode. You know, I I bet there are a lot of examples from animated films that hadn't even occurred to me. Like, I know, like, The Good Dinosaur, that Pixar movie. Oh, yeah. That, like, went under, like, massive reshoots and, like, half the cast was replaced on that. I bet there are, like, more examples that... I can't think of right now, which makes my statement kind of useless. Kelly Mutran, for example, replaced Cassie Steele for Ryan the Last Dragon. Oh, yeah, go. that's one. Uh, what was I just going to say? Oh, um, Paddington, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Colin Firth was going to do Paddington. And yep. As much as I like Colin Firth, that that is a great version because, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Ben, ben Wishaw. Ben Wishaw yeah. is so good. And I can't imagine like anyone else doing that voice. So I think that is the ultimate example right there. Yeah, man. Good stuff. All right. Well, uh, thank you to Tyler from Seattle for that question and, uh, and Missy and M. And if you guys would like to uh, ask other questions, you can send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns and mailbag topics to us at Peter at slashfilm.com. That is going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all of these stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. This podcast is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.